Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids, a show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. Well, hey there, all my future paleontologists. I hope you are all doing well and staying warm. At least warm if you happen to live where it's cold. I'm coming to you from the San Antonio, Texas area, and we are experiencing crazy weather. Weather like we have not seen in decades. It is crazy. Now, San Antonio, Texas is sort of in the south central part of the state. Texas is a big state, but that's sort of the south central part of the state. And we rarely, if ever, get snow in this part of the country. It just doesn't happen. It never gets that cold. We get cold. Sometimes it's it's well below freezing, but we just rarely get snow. Well, I've lived in Texas since I was in the second grade, and I'm now 59 years old. So almost all of my life. And I've seen it snow two times. And this current round is crazy. We're not prepared for it. This is not, we, we don't have the homes that are built to to stand this kind of cold our electrical system isn't designed for this kind of cold we don't have the we don't have like trucks that move snow and ice off the roads we don't have any of that sort of stuff because we never need it so it's very very difficult for everybody our power keeps going out i'm hoping that i can record today's podcast before the power goes out again and unfortunately none of our water is working so it's been a crazy time but you know what we'll get through it just like people get through tr- uh, tough things all over the world. We, uh, we deal with crazy stuff all over the world, and we always get through it because people are amazing. All right, before we get started, I want to give a couple of shout-outs. First of all, this Saturday, I'm doing a private birthday lesson for Gideon and his friends. I'm looking very forward to doing that, Gideon. I'm looking forward to it, my friend. And I think, I think Gideon is from, oh gosh, I don't have it in front of me. I thought the Pennsylvania area, but I may be incorrect. Gideon, if I'm not, if if you are not from Pennsylvania, I am so sorry. I apologize. I'm just doing this by memory. And I thought I saw that uh, on my notice that I was doing your birthday party. But whatever the case is, I'm really looking forward to talking to you and your friends for your birthday. Next, I want to give, uh, well, here's a kind of a neat uh, message I got. I got this through the Dinosaur George Facebook group and anyone can join the dinosaur george facebook group if you'd like to send me messages says hello thank you for your podcast my son really enjoys it my son's name is midhad nilam and he's from germany well your dad wrote to me and asked me to give you a shout out so there you go my little friend and i think it's midhad I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Nilam, from Germany. I'm so glad that you're listening over in Germany, and I'm glad that you like the podcast. Next shout out goes to Alice, the little fossil hunter. Now, Alice is, is, uh, follows me on my Facebook page, the Dinosaur George Kids group page. And Alice got to work on a real triceratops skeleton. How 
cool is that? In fact, if you look up Little Fossil Hunter on Facebook, you can follow Alice. So, Alice, I'm so glad that uh, that uh, you took the time to write to me, and I'm glad you like the podcast. And listen, I'm really I looked over some of your pictures. Really cool stuff. You look like you have your own little laboratory. Very excited. Very excited for you. That's so cool. And then finally, last shout out goes to Arav, who is turning five years old. Your all pair was nice enough to write to me through the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group and tell me that you like the podcast. And so I'm glad, so glad. So Arav, happy birthday to you when you turn five. And to everybody out there, here's a shout out to all of the countries. There's over 50 countries now where people are listening to our podcast. So I absolutely appreciate every single one of you. And I'm glad that you all are enjoying the podcast. And I'm glad you, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you are all safe and warm, unless you happen to live where it's hot. Because I have a lot of friends over in Australia and I think it's hot. I think it's summer for you guys. So anyway, whatever the case, thank you all so very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. And I mentioned I was doing doing Gideon's birthday lesson this coming Saturday. So here's some information. If you would like to have me do a lesson for you and your friends or just you for, let's say, a birthday. Hey, kids. You can have a private virtual lesson with Dinosaur George. Have him speak at your birthday party or have a lesson just for you. Lessons last 45 minutes and are available to all countries and time zones. Visit our store at DinosaurGeorge.com and order your own private lesson today. It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. Boy, I picked a good one for this podcast. It is Acrocanthosaurus. Now, Acrocanthosaurus was really at its time one of the largest carnivores, at least in North America, maybe on Earth. Acrocanthosaurus was alive in the early Cretaceous period. That's about 125 to about 99 million years ago. So long before some of the other big uh, meat eaters, uh, there was Acrocanthosaurus. Now, of course, those that came before it, like Allosaurus, those were also big dinosaurs. But we're talking about the early Cretaceous period. Acrocanthosaurus is a huge animal. It's 40 feet long. It stands 12 feet at the hips, and it probably weighed close to 12,000 pounds. Now, the reason why I like Acrocanthosaurus so much is because this is a dinosaur that lived right here in Texas. Uh, I live in Texas, and we find footprints all over the state that we believe belonged to Acrocanthosaurus. Let me explain why you can't really know for sure who made footprints. When you're looking at footprints, all you're seeing is the impression of the foot. Now, there's a lot of information that we learn from the footprint. We can actually use some um, mathematical formulas to estimate the size and length of the animal that made them. But we don't know for certain who made them. Now, because of the shape, we can tell if it's a carnivore or an herbivore. That's easy to do. 
We can also tell which direction it was traveling. We can, we know a lot of things by the footprints. When we see a couple of footprints, we know how fast it was moving based on how wide apart the tracks are. Was it walking? Was it running? Well, but the problem with it is, how do we know for sure who made those tracks? Well, we use science to help us understand what animals. Well, first we have to figure out what layer of dirt those tracks were made in. Were those tracks made in the Jurassic period? Were they made in the late Cretaceous period? We can figure out what layer those tracks were made in. So right away, we know that layer is the early Cretaceous. Okay, so there's our first clue, early Cretaceous. Second clue, tracks are giant. That tells us it's a big dinosaur. Third clue, the toes are pointy. That tells us it's a carnivore. So... What carnivores lived where the tracks were found, were alive during the time period, were big enough to make the footprint, and was a meat eater? And when you take all of those things together, then you look at all of the fossils of all animals, dinosaurs that were found in that given time period in that location. And there's only one dinosaur that we are aware of who was big enough, heavy enough, was a carnivore, lived in the early Cretaceous and lived in those areas, and that is Acrocanthosaurus. And that's how we can assume it made the tracks. Unless they find another giant meat eater that was living alongside of Acrocanthosaurus. For right now, Acrocanthosaurus seems to be the best choice for who made the tracks. Acrocanthosaurus is found in Texas, Oklahoma, Utah, I think as far north as North Carolina and maybe even Maryland. And so this is a dinosaur that probably lived all over North America. And it appeared that it liked to hang around the ocean areas more. Like it, it was an animal that preferred to do its hunting and stalking and living relatively close to the ocean. Now, when I said it was found in Utah, well, that's not close to the ocean. Well, yes, it was. During the Cretaceous period, the ocean had been moving up through the central part of North America. And so the ocean was slowly creeping into these areas. Now, it doesn't mean the dinosaur had to live on the beach. But what I mean is that we find a lot of evidence that it preferred living in or around the ocean. But it certainly could have gone anywhere it wanted to go. It doesn't mean that Oklahoma, I mean, that, that Utah was under the ocean at this time. It just simply means that the ocean covered a much greater area, and that dinosaur seems to like it. Now, Acrocanthosaurus has relatively long arms with three claws, so it looks more like an Allosaurus. It doesn't really resemble Tyrannosaurus. It doesn't have that kind of skull. Its skull looks more to be like an Allosaurid in that the skull is relatively slender with very, very long teeth, very powerful jaws, and the teeth were sort of more blade-like. They're not those big, round, bone-crunching teeth. I don't think Acrocanthosaurus is crunching bone, but it is definitely a meat slicer. It has a relatively big skull. It's a, again, it's a big dinosaur. I told you it's 40 feet long. But the most amazing feature of Acrocanthosaurus is a ridge that ran from the back of its neck down towards the base of its tail. It wasn't a sail. It's not like Spinosaurus, but it's a tall ridge. 
And it must have served a couple of purposes because when your body is building things, meaning growing your fingers and your ears and your nose, that takes a lot of energy. To grow that ridge, I'm not going to call it a sail because it's not tall enough to be that, but it's definitely a raised area. You would see it from a distance. For its body to produce the spines that would be tall enough to make that ridge down its back, they serve a greater purpose than the typical, oh, it drives me crazy. Everybody always says, well, that was for vision so, so that other dinosaurs could recognize it. You know, if you're as big as Acrocanthosaurus, you don't need a ridge to help others identify you. Now, it certainly could have been a secondary purpose. Yes, that ridge may have been brightly colored, and that could have dis displayed the age or the maturity of the dinosaur. But to think that that ridge is only there for that just simply does not make sense. It would be easier for the colors of your skull to change rather than grow that spine, that, that, that ridge down your back. One of the things that I get frustrated with in paleontology, I sometimes feel like people work really hard to disprove things that seem obvious. And what I mean by that is like every, I read the other day where somebody proposed that raptors don't use their killing claw for killing. They use them for climbing trees. That's completely insane. How could a Utah raptor climb a tree with its foot? And why would these animals have such incredible weapons? Or that's like people that say, you know, triceratops don't use their horns as a weapon. Are you out of your mind? Of course, triceratops uses its horns as a weapon because they are. Now, you don't want to make guesses about everything. You can't look at everything and go, well, that's what that is. Of course, there has to be science behind it. But sometimes we try too hard to disprove things that are obvious. And to me, that ridge on that back served a higher purpose than just a signaling device. Let's talk about what I've said before about the function of the sail that I thought Spinosaurus used. Where does Spinosaurus spend its time? In the water. What do I think its sail is for? For capturing the heat that water steals. Let's look at Acrocanthosaurus. I'm not saying Acrocanthosaurus is a dinosaur that lived in the water, but where did I tell you we're finding the majority of evidence where it lived? Along the ocean. Maybe it did spend more time in the water than we think. Maybe it did spend its time walking down the beach, hunting for things that wash up on the beach. It's a great place to find a free meal or to catch something that's caught in shallow water. And even if the temperature outside is warm, water still steals your heat. Maybe that ridge was used to replenish the heat. Why wasn't it as big as a Spinosaurus's? Because it doesn't spend the majority of its life in the water. It's not made for being in the water. Spinosaurus appears to be made for being able to swim and submerge and go out and hunt. Acrocanthosaurus is not built that way. But I do believe that ridge is being used for more than just a signaling device. But whatever it's for, it's amazingly cool. Here's another big meat eater with a big ridge running down its back. What a terrifying animal this has to be. Now, based on the, 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 the growth and looking at the growth, I mean by looking at the bones, it's suggested that 
Acrocanthosaurus reached its adult size by the time it was 12 years old. 12 years old. That's, that's a fast grower. But when you are a carnivore, you have to grow quickly because you are always in a fight. Herbivores rarely get into fights where it's a fight to the death. When they're attacked, obviously it is. But other than that, they spend their days probably pushing and shoving on each other to see who's boss. But they're not out there ripping and tearing and shredding and killing. But a carnivore does. It's got to do that every day. So you better grow up pretty fast. And Acrocanthosaurus seems to be one that could grow really, really quickly. The last thing I want to say about Acrocanthosaurus is that um, there is a, a, a famous set of tracks near Glen Rose, Texas. Glen Rose is two words, G-L-E-N-R-O-S-E. If any of you have access to the internet when we're done with this podcast, go jump on and type in Dinosaurs of Glen Rose, Texas, and you'll see these footprints. Now, what it appears to be is there is a sauropod, a big long-necked dinosaur. I think they suggest this one is Paluxosaurus, if that's still the valid name, or maybe they've changed it to Sauroposeidon. I don't know. I can't keep up. But this big long neck is walking down the beach, and walking beside it is an Acrocanthosaurus. And it appears to be hunting the giant sauropod. There's even one spot where you can see where the acro may have raised its foot to maybe try to claw or climb on the back of this thing. I disagree with that. I believe that sauropod, based on the footprint, was way too big for Acrocanthosaurus to be attacking. Also, when an animal's running or moving quickly, it leaves a different kind of footprint. We can see it. The footprints are smeared. They slide. They change direction quickly. That's not what's happening with this footprint. This Acrocanthosaurus appears to me to be walking beside the big sauropod. Why would it want to walk beside it? Why didn't the sauropod run? Why was the acro simply walking alongside of it? This is what I believe. I believe that the target was not the adult sauropod. It was a juvenile. And I believe the juvenile was, be, was on the other side of the adult. I think the adult was keeping the acrocanthosaurus away by by interfering with it. I believe Acrocanthosaurus' focus was a baby, but unfortunately, if there are baby footprints, they are under tons of rock because the part that eroded for us to see is in a riverbed. See, when people see the footprints, they think these dinosaurs were walking down a riverbed. That's not true. There was no river. That was the shore of the ocean. That was a muddy beach-like area. It's just that the river over time carried away all the dirt and rock that used to cover the footprints. So if we could remove all the dirt and rock away, it is my opinion that you're going to find the footprints of a baby. And that's who I think the target was. And that's why I don't think it was running. I think the sauropod was simply walking with the baby on the other side and the acros trying to figure out how to get around the sauropod to get to the baby. 
That's my opinion. There is no evidence to support that other than the fact that the footprints do not show that the dinosaur was running quickly. And if you're being hunted, I think you're going to try to move quickly. It doesn't show like that one where it said it where it looks like the foot raised up and maybe tried to crawl onto the back. Aquacanthosaurus couldn't carry its weight up the side of a dinosaur with its feet and it couldn't lift its body with its with its hands. What if it was just simply trying to get it out of the way? Now, keep in mind, like I said, there are no baby tracks to confirm this. This is simply my opinion. But I believe that the evidence suggests the big sauropod wasn't the target. And if the big sauropod wasn't the target, then why is an acro walking beside it? And finally, hey, what if that sauropod walked by three hours earlier and the acrocanthosaurus is simply walking in the same direction? We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure if those two were even beside each other. It could very well be that it was footprints. Think about this. You walk down the beach early one morning and you leave your footprints in the sand. Two days later, I walk down the beach the same direction you were, and I happen to be walking next to you. If somebody looks at our footprints, they may go, oh, these two people are walking together. Eh, I didn't even see you. So that could very well be the story of that as well. All right, uh, let's go ahead and answer some questions. And by the way, I hope you like this one on Acrocanthosaurus, and I hope you go look it up because it is a crazy, cool dinosaur. Do you have any questions about dinosaurs? Just ask Dinosaur George. You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. All right, my first question comes from Jeremy, who happens to be a Patreon member. Jeremy says, how big was Yangchuanosaurus compared to T-Rex? Well, Yangchuanosaurus is really more in comparison to Allosaurus as far as size. So, Jeremy, T-Rex would have towered over Yangchuanosaurus. I believe Yangchuanosaurus probably runs at about 30 to 32 feet long. And Tyrannosaurus rex is closer to 45, maybe 46 so uh, now what would have been a closer choice would be Tarbosaurus. That would have been if you were comparing Asian theropods to North American theropods. Yangchuanosaurus is a better match for Allosaurus and Tarbosaurus is a better match for Tyrannosaurus. But regardless, I love Yangchuanosaurus. Ought to do a podcast about him. Okay, Ricardo, age nine from Vilach, Australia. And I don't know, Ricardo, if you guys pronounce the L. So if it's Viach. Or Vilach. But whatever it is, it's in Austria. Hi, DG. Can you make an episode about Guanlong? Uh, Ricardo, great suggestion. I certainly will put that dinosaur on the list because I think Guanlong is amazing and it's an early ancestor of Tyrannosaurus rex. Makes it super crazy cool. All right. Mark, age three, from Santa Clara, California. Hi, Dinosaur George. We love listening to your podcast. Can you do an episode on Carnotaurus? Well, first of all, hello, Mark. How are you, my little friend? I'm so glad, and you're three years old, and you already love dinosaurs. I'm excited to hear that, buddy. Mark, when you get a little older, maybe you can come to work for me. Um, and I'm glad you and your parents like the podcast. I'm glad that your family enjoys the podcast, and so glad, Mom or Dad, whoever wrote on Mark's behalf, thank you. So can I do an episode of Carnotaurus? Funny you mention that, Mark. 
that dinosaur is on my list. I saw him this morning when I came in to sit down to record this podcast. I always look ahead to go, wonder what we're doing next, and guess who I saw on the list? Carnotaurus. So, Mark, pretty quickly, you will get your wish. Okay, uh, this is from O'Shea, who is age five from Porterdale, Georgia. O'Shea says, were any of T-Rex's ancestors plant eaters? Wow. There were none that I am aware of. I think all of its ancestors were carnivores, O'Shea. All of its, all of its ancestors were carnivores. Second question, what did a Quetzalcoatlus look like? Well, it was a big flying reptile, enormous, very skinny looking, kind of a long skinny neck with a big head with a long pointy beak. It, it looked like other pterosaurs, just supersized. It was gigantic. And then finally, O'Shea says, why did Triceratops need those big horns? Ah, funny you mentioned that when I was going crazy about how we tried to disprove the obvious. I mentioned those big horns. I believe Triceratops' horns were absolutely 100% used as a weapon to defend itself. And the bigger the horn, the deeper it could go into the body of your attacker. And that's what they are intended to do. So they needed big horns to be able to survive. All right. Um, Vadanshi, age nine, from Frisco, Texas, did an asteroid alone wipe out all the dinosaurs? Well, Vadanshi, the evidence certainly suggests that after the asteroid struck the Earth, it wiped out a lot of animals. Is it the only cause? Maybe not. But uh, it was the thing, the catalyst that started everything. Everything happened because. Everything happened because of the asteroid. So the asteroid didn't necessarily kill everything, but it started a chain reaction in the environment that wiped out the pterosaurs, the swimming reptiles, the dinosaurs, and a bunch of other animals. But it didn't kill everything, but it was the cause. Okay, Saya, age 10, from Plano, Texas. Do paleontologists just study dinosaurs or other fossils too? Great question, Saya. Great, great question. And I'm glad you asked that because I meet a lot of young people that say they want to be a paleontologist. And I always try to remind them there's all different kinds of paleontologists. There are paleobotanists. They study the plants. Paleoclimatologists, they study what the, what the environments were like back then, what the climates were like. There are people that study vertebrates, invertebrates. There are those that only study trilobites, only study fish, only study meat-eating dinosaurs, only study plants, only study insects. There's so many different kinds of paleontologists. And paleontologists come from every country, every nation, every race, every gender. It doesn't matter. Anyone can be a paleontologist, and there's so many choices to choose from. All right, Jonas, age eight, from San Antonio, Texas, my home state and hometown. How do Tyrannosaurus rexes eat? Well, Jonas, there's a couple of ways. One would be if you're small, they just grab you and swallow you whole. If you're big and they rip off chunks, they probably stand on you with their foot, lean forward with their head, open the mouth, grab a mouthful, and push with their foot and pull back with their powerful neck and rip off a chunk. 
They're not using their hands to eat, in my opinion. They are ripping probably with their jaws, but they're using their teeth. And finally, this one came through the Facebook page, the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page, a Facebook group. Said, hi, we just found your podcast a couple of days ago, and my two boys only want to listen to this now. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you guys like this. Um, let's see. Kyrie, I, I think it's pronounced Kyrie. Pro- probably so. Kyrie is five years old and from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He has a question for you. How did Baryonyx hunt? Well, Kyrie and your brother and your family. I'm so glad that you guys listen. I absolutely love Edmonton. I used to fly into Edmonton every single year because out there in Gibbons, where you have the Jurassic Forest, and if you've never gone out there, you have to go out there and see it. Jurassic Forest in Edmonton is, I mean, in Gibbons is magnificent. And once a year, I have friends, they are like family to me that live out there. And I go see them every year, and I stay in Edmonton every time I come. So if I'm coming back, I'll put it on a podcast, and maybe I'll get to meet you and your family. I'll meet you guys out at Jurassic Forest, and we'll go look at the dinosaurs. So how did Baryonyx hunt? Well, Baryonyx appears to be a piscivore, meaning it eats fish. And it appears that it probably hunted by walking along the shoreline and looking for anything it could catch, turtles, little alligators, little crocodiles, uh, any kind of fish. But because when they found baryonyx, they found the bones of a juvenile iguanodontid, then it may have also gone and hunted on land, just like any other carnivore. There's probably a number of ways it hunted, Kyrie, but there's no way to know for certain which was its favorite, because sometimes the fossil record tells us a lot but it doesn't give us all of the answers. All right, coming up next is going to be the Who Would Win. Become a member of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club and join the fun. We offer different club levels, each with their own set of benefits. Private lessons, new discoveries, behind-the-scene access, and much more are all part of being a club member. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com and sign up today. Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops. You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourself for the Battle Royale! As our Patreon Tyrannosaurus members submit, amazing who would win. Let's start with the first one. This comes from Torsten, who wants to know, Woolly Mammoth versus Barasaurus. Nice. Nice choice. Especially since it's freezing in Texas. I'm glad you mentioned the Woolly Mammoth. Let's size up these two. Woolly Mammoth. It's an elephant. 
that comes with power. It's got those great big curvy tusks that could have certainly been used like a battering ram. Woolly mammoth center of gravity, meaning where the body balances, is sort of the front legs, which means it's got incredible pushing power because you're using your back legs to move, but your body is stable. You don't get knocked over very easily. Pushing over an elephant is very hard to do. So we're going to give the mammoth points for pushing power and strength. Barasaurus, on the other hand, is a gargantuan big sauropod. Barasaurus is an enormous dinosaur, kind of looks like the Plodocus. Very, very long, long whip-like tail. Now, as far as mobility, it doesn't stand a chance against a mammoth. A mammoth, even though it's a big brute, is still going to be way faster than Barasaurus. Mammoths can turn quickly. Barasaurus has that whip-like tail, and if they used it as a weapon, which I believe they did, that is a stand-back kind of weapon, meaning... It can stand from a distance and crack that whip and hit, make a direct hit to your face, to your eyes. It could maybe knock you out. It may have been able to split open the skin. So, Woolly Mammoth is going to have a hard time getting up close to him. But if it ever does get past that defense, then the only thing Barasaurus can do is use its legs. It could maybe stand up on its hind legs and come crashing down with its front legs. But that takes a lot of energy. And you can't do it for long before you get really tired. I actually believe in this particular case that the mammoth is going to outlast the Barasaurus. And if the mammoth ever has the ability to knock down Barasaurus, then the battle would be over. The, 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 the Barasaurus cannot lift its head like its neck off the ground. If it gets knocked to the ground, the woolly mammoth can run up there and hate to say it, but kind of stomp him. And that, he could win this fight. But Barasaurus is so gigantic. One direct hit, and this would be over. But in my opinion, I'm going to give this to the Woolly Mammoth. I'm going to think that he's able to outmaneuver Barasaurus and wear Barasaurus down quickly. And once that happens, the Mammoth can then just knock him over, maybe break its leg, but I, I'm going to give this to the mammoth. All right, Noah sends in, Dine, and Noah always sends in the best ones. And by the way, Noah, if you're listening, I hope you, I'm glad you're feeling better. I know you weren't feeling very well for a little while. Deinonychus versus Tenontosaurus. What a great battle, because this one happened. We have fossil evidence that suggests that a pack of Deinonychus actually attacked a Tenontosaurus. They find dead Deinonychuses around the skeleton of a Tenontosaurus. It suggests a battle took place, and Tenontosaurus took some of them out, killed some of them. But because parts of Tenontosaurus were gone, and there were broken off Deinonychus teeth around the body, it also tells us that the Tenontosaurus died. And because after it was dead, the Deinonychus fed on it and broke some of their teeth, and you could see markings where they were chewing on the bone. Now, we don't know for sure how the battle took place. You know, did, did Tenontosaurus wipe out all of the ones that attacked him, but then died from its wounds, and other Deinonychus showed up to feed on him? Or were there more Deinonychus there? I don't know. But in my opinion, regardless of that evidence, Noah, if it's one Deinonychus versus one Tenontosaurus, Tenontosaurus may be too big to take on. 
Tenontosaurus does have what looks like little thumb spikes. It does have its legs that it could kick. It has a powerful tail. Deinonychus is like is like a jet fighter, and Tenontosaurus is like a bomber. Bombers are made to take wave after wave of punishment. Jet fighters, one hit and you're down. So if the Tenontosaurus lands one devastating blow, it could crush Deinonychus. But if you're talking about a pack of Deinonychus, I believe they are going to win that fight. Good one. Good one. All right, Jeremy, who would win? My first grade class versus a pack of micro raptors. Wow. As long as you first graders stick together, Jeremy, you're going to be fine. But if some of you get scared and take off running, that's what the micro raptors are waiting for. They cannot take you on as one unit. When you are a unit, when you are a group, when you are a pack, you're too big for micro raptors. Oh, sure, they could rush in and bite and slash and dash and run away, but they don't have the power to take down something as big as a first grader. So as long as you are sticking together, you're fine. But if some of you start getting scared and start running off, the micro raptors are going to pounce on the one that's running away from the security. So unfortunately, Jeremy, some of you might get picked off. But as long as you stick together, you're going to be fine. All right, Gabe, Dilophosaurus versus a raptor. Nice challenge, Gabe. I like this. It depends on the raptor, obviously. If it's a small raptor like Microraptor, Dilophosaurus would eat them. If it's a medium-sized raptor like Dromaeosaurus, Dilophosaurus has got to be a little careful because there could be some danger in that. If it's Deinonychus, Dilophosaurus may think twice. If it's a Utah raptor, Dilophosaurus is going to get out of there. So it depends on who the fight is. As long as it's as big as Dromaeosaurus down, I think Dilophosaurus wins. If it's Deinonychus, I think it's a tie. And if it's bigger than Deinonychus, I think Dilophosaurus would lose that battle. All right. This one comes from my little buddy Oliver from Durango, Colorado. Oliver says, who would win? Indoraptor versus a pack of Velociraptors. Whoa. Glad you said a pack of Velociraptors, Oliver, because one of them doesn't stand a chance. Two don't stand a chance. Three would be in trouble. Four, five, six, seven, or eight. I think the fight is on. Now, Indoraptor is made, designed, created with the best of all things. That makes it super bad. But Velociraptors, if they hunted in packs, and I think they did, they have an advantage because they're used to working as a group. They know what they're doing. Indoraptors, a loner. So if a group of Velociraptors encircle it, <coughs> excuse me, Indoraptor may not know what to do. Doesn't know where the attack's coming from. It's looking forward, the attack's coming from behind it. If it turns to face the attack behind it, the attack come from both sides. I honestly believe that even though Velociraptors are little compared to this dinosaur, they could do enough damage. Rushing in, leaping, landing on the back, and doing slash and dash. Cut him up, run. Come back again, attack from all directions, run. Yes, Indoraptor is going to take out a bunch of them. But over time, I think the Velociraptors may have been able to wear down an Indoraptor. Boy, you better bring a lot of Velociraptors to this party, though. And finally, my buddy Owen 
said, George, I ran into a tough one. Spotted hyena, the modern spotted hyena versus dire wolf. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. Oh, a nice choice. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. Let's think about it. First of all, we know that modern spotted hyenas work together in unison as a pack. We know they know what they're doing. A pack of them will take on something as giant as a lion. And a lion will back down if it's outnumbered. When we look at dire wolves, we cannot say with absolute 100% certainty that they hunt in packs. I think they did. I don't think it makes sense that they're hunting by themselves. I think they know what they're doing. I think they're hunting in groups as well. So if we're going to assume that they act like modern wolves, then I think that they are certainly capable of taking on the fight. Their size would give them some advantage, but here's the difference, I believe. Dire wolves do not routinely take on other carnivores other than maybe a mountain lion once in a while and maybe bears once in a while. And I say once in a while because I don't think it ever escalates to an actual fight. I think if there's a pack of dire wolves, like modern wolves, if there's a pack of modern wolves, um, uh, cats are going to be as far away from them as they can get. They smell them and hear them and they're gone. They're not hanging around for a fight. Bears are simply brutes, especially the big grizzlies. They're just brutes. They're like, look, man, I'll stay here and take your kill. I don't care. But the dire, the, the modern wolves are going to be very cautious about that. That's not what they do. Now, compare that to spotted hyenas. Listen, they live with jaguars and cheetahs and uh, cape hunting dogs and lions. They're day in, day out. They're fighting other carnivores for kill. That's what they do. So in my opinion, Owen, I'm going to give the battle to the modern spotted hyena because they are just, in my opinion, simply too strong to be able to be taken on, even though um, the dire wolves were big and bad. I just don't think they could take them. All right. I have not been able to interview any of my T-Rexes lately because here in San Antonio, because the weather has been so bad, it has prevented us. We don't know whether we're going to have power or not. We have something called rolling blackouts, which means the power goes off without any warning and it stays off for two or three hours and then it comes back on again. I can't believe I made it through this podcast without the power running out. So I've been very fortunate. So as soon as things go back to normal, and things get back to normal around here, I will continue to add interviews with my uh, Patreon members who are Tyrannosaurus members. For any of you, I hope you would join Patreon. It helps fund what we do, and it gives you some cool opportunities. In fact, we're doing a class uh, a week from this Friday for Raptor and T-Rex members, a class on dinosaurs from Australia and Antarctica. And you can join for as little as $5 a month if you want to uh, listen to that podcast. And you can cancel anytime as well. If you join and you don't like it, hey, you can cancel. No big deal. Plus, you get a gift if you become a Raptor or T-Rex member. Raptor Club members get a replica Raptor claw. T-Rex members get that claw plus a T-Rex replica tooth. 
All right, everybody. I hope you guys have enjoyed today. I look forward to recording more of these. I hope you all are taking care of yourselves. Be nice to everyone around you. And if you know somebody who likes dinosaurs, please tell them about my podcast because the more listeners, the better. Take care, you guys. I'll see you soon. Listening to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club, and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks, and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge. Yeah. Yeah.